Okay, I'm gonna invite you to return to your seats. Parents, hopefully you got your kids something from the activity bins in the bookshelf. Lots of good conversations to continue after the service. Thanks everyone. It's good to see you all. I'm impressed that so many of you came on a cold day. It's good to be with you. This is Alberta, but it hasn't felt like it this week. So I am impressed. Maybe that's just my my Ontarian coming out. (laughs) I'm impressed. The rest of you are not so impressed with me at the moment. That's okay. Okay. Um, I loved what Joel did this morning in terms of we are we're we are worshiping, we are preparing our hearts, we are we are singing and inviting God's presence to be here. And in doing so, we're making ourselves aware of his presence at the same time. I'd like to to take a moment and do some invite the Lord maybe to help us with some self-reflection. As we, as we move into messages that are new for almost everyone and pretty challenging, I, I want to encourage you to ask God to reflect on your heart right now and the posture which, with which you bring to his word. Um, Blaise Pascal was a mathematician and a philosopher, and he, he said, there is enough light for those who only desire to see, and enough obscurity for those who have a contrary disposition. There is enough light for those who only desire to see, and enough obscurity for those who have a contrary disposition. How badly do you want to see? How badly do you want the light? Could we, could we take a moment and ask the Lord, would you make sure that the blinds are drawn, the windows are wide open, that I'm giving you every possible opportunity this morning to shine your light into my house? Let's take a moment and do that. Lord, would you make us people who 
who love the light, who seek the light, who walk in the light? Would you make us children of the light and lovers of the light and people who only desire what is good and right and pure? Would you do whatever you need to do in us that you would make us people who live and think and love like Jesus, pure and holy? Would you make us people who recognize that we have contrary dispositions and we acknowledge them and then say, be gone, I need more light. Lord, make us people of the light. Lord, I, I claim Jesus' words, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This, the Proverbs talk about the blessings of those who delight in the truth. Lord, would you make us people who delight in the truth? Scripture will say, your word is truth. First John will say, your spirit is truth. Lord, would your spirit go out? Would your word be recognized? And may you plant it deep in good soil, in good hearts, in places where we let the light shine. Have your way in us, Lord. Lord, would you give me clarity in thought and in speech? Would you, would you bless my friends here with, um, with minds that, that hear and recognize your truth and are more intent on finding what you want to say than anything else? May we be like Peter, who will say to Jesus later in this gospel, where can we go? You have the words of life. Lord, may your word be life to us today. Light and life. In Jesus' name, amen. This message is very much building on last week. So if you weren't here last week, I will recap just little bits here and there. Um, but if you're new, you're entering in on a conversation we've been having for some time here. Um, and so I'd encourage you to go back and listen to other messages, um, particularly last week's, but others as well. Um, I will do Q&A again today. We did it last week. I'm going to try and do it regularly whenever we're talking about this particular topic because we bring a lot of questions to, to this, and it's brand new for most of us. Um, so please do feel free to interact when that time comes. So if, if something comes up, write down your question. And uh, if I don't have the answer, um, I'll chew on it. And there have been times where someone's asked a question and someone else here has the answer um, when I didn't. And so it, we, we have those kind of cool things happen. So um, these are messages you need to interact with. And as I said last week, this is a topic that God is highlighting for us. It's not just that we happen to be moving through a particular set of passages and now we come to this topic. As much as that is true, there, there have been additional ways, as we talked about last week, that God made it very, very clear he is highlighting this topic for this church at this time. Go back and listen to those if, that message if you haven't heard it yet. I started with a Calvin and Hobbes comic last week. I'm going to start with another one this week. 
Um, this is just a single one here, single frame. And, and Calvin says, I expect nothing and it's still too much. I expect nothing and it's still too much. This, this message is going to um, reflect in a number of ways on our expectations, the expectations that we bring to this topic, this passage, and to the ways that God currently works. And sometimes we have, oft, often I think, we have taken the Calvin approach of saying we, we expect very little from God when it comes to the topic of healing. And sometimes we have reduced our expectations to Calvin's because we haven't necessarily seen payoff. And we're going to need to readjust our expectations. Remember, I quoted someone last week who said um, that God rebuked him when he didn't preach a message the way that God wanted him to. He was preaching on Jesus saying, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give. And, and he preached a message that was, was in line with his own level of experience, and he hadn't seen people who'd been healed or raised from the dead or that kind of thing. And so he preached a wimpy message and God rebuked him after and said, don't preach your experience. Preach my word and let people's experience rise to my word. And that's what we are going to do. We're going to preach God's word and we are going to have to learn to adjust our expectations, not, not down, further, but up to the level of God's word, because it's higher than we have experienced. And if, if there's a gap between God's expectations and mine, something needs to change in me. Where do my expectations, where should my expectations come from? Not my experience. They, they should come from this. Jesus' expectations for the way that God works in the world were based on scripture. And I'd like to take you to one passage in particular. It's probably the most important passage in the Old Testament for quite a number of different reasons, not only to understand Jesus, but to understand specifically Jesus' entire ministry and Specifically, even within that ministry, the ministry of healing. Would you go to Isaiah 53? I'm going to put it up on the screen as well. I think we have that as well. Isaiah 53. Isaiah is a prophet who wrote 600 years before Jesus. He's looking ahead. And he's speaking about the ministry of Jesus. So when it says he took, it's speaking about Jesus speaking about the Messiah who's going to come 600 years down the road. And it says, he took our infirmities and bore our diseases, but we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us, uh, and the word is shalom, which means peace or wholeness. The punishment that brought us wholeness, brought us peace, was on him, Jesus. And by his wounds, we are healed. And I'm sure some of you have read that before. And I used to read this as though this is spiritual healing. God heals us spiritually. And he does. That is not wrong. But that is not all that these, ver these verses, these words apply to. 
And Matthew himself quotes these verses as applying to Jesus' ministry of healing physical ailments. Okay, so go to Matthew 8, 16, and 17 in your Bibles. I don't have it up on the screen. That evening they brought to him, that's to Jesus, many who were uh, demonized, and he cast out the spirits with a word and cured all who were sick. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Um, Aletta, would you put that those verses back up on the screen for me, please? Thank you. Those ones, yes, that's great. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. It's referring to the Isaiah 53 passage. It's not just spiritual healing. Isaiah looked ahead to the Messiah healing people physically as well. He did take our spiritual diseases, but he's also made physical healing available too mental, emotional healing available too. Deliverance available too. And it's not just the ministry of Jesus. Because remember that Jesus is our example. We are to grow up into him in every way. A disciple is trained to be like a master. Every, Jesus says every disciple when fully trained will be like the master. And if this master does healing, his disciples ought to as well. You cannot get away from that. That is basic to discipleship, that the disciples do what the master did. If we are disciples of a master who heals, he expects his disciples to do the same. And as we saw last week, he commands his disciples to do that. He sends out the twelve. And says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. He sends out 70 more and tells them the same thing. And his specific advice to them, it's Luke 10. His, his specific um, command to them is when you go into a town, extend peace, receive hospitality. And while you're there, heal the sick. And proclaim the good news of the kingdom because healing and kingdom go hand in hand. They're linked in scripture. We saw that last week. I'm going to refer you back to that message. Our expectations, Jesus' expectations for his own ministry and his disciples' ministry came from Scripture. Isaiah 53, he took our infirmities, he bore our diseases. Now, this is somewhat rhetorical because we've been over this a number of times, but I'm going to go back to it again. It's absolutely crucial for today. Does Jesus heal by his own power? The answer should be no. Jesus is absolutely God, but he laid aside all of his divine rights, Philippians 2 says, and relied on God to anoint him with the Holy Spirit and with power. So when Jesus heals, when Jesus works miracles, when Jesus um, turns uh, water into wine, he hasn't done it by the power of being second person of the Trinity, he laid aside everything that was to his own advantage, Philippians 2 says, and became just uh, like one of us. 
he relied on the Holy Spirit to work through him. And so I have quoted this verse over and over again to us. It's absolutely crucial. Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And as a result, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him, not because he was God. He was God, but he didn't do it because he was God. He did it in the same way you will do it because the Holy Spirit has been put in him and on him. And God has anointed, Acts 10.38, anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power which means that you have the same spirit in you that Jesus had to do the same things that Jesus did because that's discipleship. Discipleship is becoming like the master. That's the recap of the conversation we've been having over and over again. And just let me remind you once again, Jesus Jesus says this himself that he doesn't do miracles on his own. That Jesus says that himself. John 5.19. Do you, do you have John? You are in Matthew, so you don't have John 4 in front of you because we're not there yet. John 5, 19. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing on his own. Jesus does not heal by his own power. Jesus heals by the power of the spirit. The son can do nothing on his own. He can only do whatever he sees the father doing. He will say in um, John 5, 12, excuse me, not 5, 12, 12, 50. Not only does Jesus not do anything on his own, he doesn't even speak anything on his own. John 12, 50, I speak just as the father has told me. Jesus went around his entire ministry, Jerusalem, Judea, Galilee, Samaria, as he's wandering around doing his ministry, he's not doing his ministry at all. He is only doing anything that he hears the father telling him to do, anything that he sees the father doing, and he's only doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a Trinity operation the whole time. So let's set that conversation um, aside for a moment. I want to have a slightly different conversation. And then these two things together will prepare us for what we're going to look at in John 4 today. Think about miracles in scripture. Could be Jesus healings. It could be the things you see in Acts. It could be Elijah and Elisha or Moses, whatever. Think about miracles. Just think of some that come to mind and think about how does God actually do it? What's a miracle? Call it, just call it some random ones. And we'll talk about how God does it. The 10 lepers. And what does he do to heal the 10 lepers? He gives them a command. And what do they have to do to receive the healing? They had to go to the temple. Very good. Thank you, Ben. Different one. Perfect. I'm going to come back to these. The widow's son being raised by Elijah. 
How does Elijah raise her from the dead? What does he actually do? Do you remember? He lays on top of this. this so the son has died. He, Elijah lays his body over top of the sun. And I actually read that text this week. And he puts his mouth to his mouth. He puts his eyes to his eyes. He puts his hands to his hands. He's like trying to like match himself up. And he, he like breathes on him and the, the body starts to get warm. And then he gets up after that and starts praying and asking God to bring him back to life. And at that point he does. Great example. What else? Other miracles. What's one of the biggest miracles in the Old Testament? The Red Sea. How's the Red Sea part? Moses uses a staff. Great. Awesome. Other miracles. Think about healings Jesus does. How does he heal? The lady touches his cloak. Well done. Give me another one. Jesus makes mud. He spits on the ground, makes mud, smears it on a guy's eyes and tells him to go wash. Give me another one. Looking up at the snake. So the people have been poisoned. They've been bitten by snakes in, in the desert. Uh, thousands and thousands of poisonous snakes come out. They're, they're bitten. And in order to be healed, they have to go and look at, um, it's essentially a cross that, that has been um, like a dead bronze serpent has been made to, to put up on, be put up on the cross. And when people go and look at that, they are healed. Does God heal in one way? No. Does God heal in what ways you would expect? No. Does God heal primarily in the examples we have, we have, um, we've covered? Does God do what he did simply because someone prayed? Yes or no? No. Did he require some form of participation? Our expectations for the way God goes about healing need to change because primarily the way that we have approached healing is I'm going to pray. I'm going to send out my 911 call. I'm going to make my 911 call. God will deal with it from there. He'll send the ambulance. He will do his healing prayer. He'll do his healing thing or he won't, but I've made my 911 call. And if our expectations for the way healing and miracles go about should be formed from anywhere, they should be formed from scripture. And so Isaiah 53, we should expect there to be healings. And we should expect that there should be participation as we've just heard, as we covered miracle and healing after miracle and healing, whether it's New Testament or Old Testament, virtually all of them include a participant and it includes something unusual in the way that God wants to go about it. You're going to see this in our passage today. So we need to expect healings. We need to, Isaiah 53, we need to expect healings. Isaiah 53 will not let you off the hook. Our ex expectations should be formed from scripture. We should expect healings. We should expect that we need to participate in some way. And we should expect them to look kind of unusual. If scripture sets our expectations. Okay, 
please go with me. And now we're going to actually jump back into John and continue moving through John because it's been a while. Um, and we're moving ahead finally. John 4, we've been working our way through John, right? And so now we are at the close of John 4. I am going to read from verses 43 to 54. So they've just finished their their evangelism in Samaria, woman at the well, the whole village comes out and gets saved. Awesome. And this is what happens next. When two days that they'd spent there were over, he, Jesus, went from that place to Galilee. And then there's some brackets here that say, for Jesus himself had, had testified that a prophet has no honor in the prophet's own country. When he came to Galilee, that's his home country, hometown, the the Galileans welcomed him since they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the festival. That was some time ago, a number of stories back. He'd done a whole bunch of signs and wonders there. Since they'd seen all that he'd done at the festival, they, they had come for they too had gone to that festival. They'd seen it. And now Jesus, the guy who'd worked the signs and wonders is now back in their hometown. They're pretty excited about this. So they come out and see. News of Jesus being back in Galilee spreads. So he, verse 46, it says, then he came to Cana in Galilee, where he changed the water into wine. Now there was a royal official whose son lay ill in Capernaum. Capernaum is like 40 or 50 kilometers away, something like that. Like it's not close to Cana, but it's still within, within Galilee. So news has spread pretty quickly. They don't have, they don't have text, right? It's, it's word of mouth. And as people are walking along, but it spreads pretty quickly. Um, So when this official heard that Jesus had come from Judea back to Galilee, he went to Jesus and begged him to come down to Capernaum and heal his son, for his son was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you, and that you is plural, you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my little boy dies. And Jesus said, go, your son will live. Actually, in Greek, it just says your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he started back on his way. And as he was going down, his slaves met him and told him that his child was alive. So he asked them the hour when he began to recover. And they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. The father realized that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now, this was the second sign that Jesus did after coming from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, we thank you, Lord, for this. Aletta, would you please put up that slide that has the dialogue of this passage? Thank you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time making the point um, that we have made before about how when you pray, you should both expect an answer, but expect to look for something unusual. But do notice that as you work through this. Every dialogue Jesus has with something is an example to us of the ways that we pray and the way God responds because Jesus is God, right? I'm not gonna make that point because I'm gonna stay focused on healing, but you should notice it. And we will come back to that a little bit. So check out this dialogue. This man comes and begs that Jesus would heal his son because he's heard that Jesus is a healer and a miracle worker. And so he's asking for a request for Jesus to come with him to Capernaum. He says, come before my child dies. 
And Jesus' response to him doesn't say anything about whether or not he would come. He addresses something else. Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. So again, that's that prayer point. How does, how does what Jesus says relate to what the man asked? Because it doesn't appear at, at first glance to follow logically, does it? I'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. And then the, the man begs again, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus says, go, your son will live. In Greek, it says your son lives. So it, it's, not, it's not a promise, it's a declaration. If you see the nuance, the difference there in nuance, I'm not going to spend much time with that, but there is a difference there. The man begs for Jesus to come heal his son. And Jesus' response addresses the man's faith. Unless you see, you're not going to believe. What's going on there? I believe Jesus is answering his request because the man's request is for healing. But what Jesus is doing is addressing that there's a barrier to you receiving healing. The barrier is that this healing is going to go about by faith and your faith is currently not high enough to receive your healing. Do you see that in the text? Jesus addresses the man's faith and then goes about doing a faith healing as it increases. Jesus addresses the man's lack of faith because there was a healing about to take place that wouldn't take place if the man's faith did not rise. Do you see that? Are we on the same page? I'm getting a few nods. Is that? Okay. How does Jesus heal this boy? How does Jesus heal the boy? He declares it. How does the man receive it? He believes. But he doesn't believe enough at the start of the dialogue. Hmm? Yep. Yes. Good, Ralph. Thank you. What Ralph is pointing out is that there is an increase happening through this passage. You notice that there's an increase happening in the man's level of faith. He's got enough faith to realize that Jesus could help his boy if he comes with him to Capernaum. But Jesus isn't going to Capernaum. So the man's going to need more faith for this type of healing. Jesus addresses that level of faith. The man's faith rises to that level because it says he believed Jesus. He took him at his word and he returned. And then it addresses it once again in verse. Uh, verse 53. So look at it in your text. After he meets the slaves, and they give him the news. He asks the hour that it happened. 
And the hour that it happened, he says it was one o'clock. And he realizes that's when Jesus made his declaration. And then it, the text says, and then he believed. But it had already said he believed. And it said that he believed enough to go find Jesus at the beginning. There is an, an increasing level of faith happening through this interaction in, in this passage. Yes, sir. It's believe, believe, believe. Yeah. Yep. There's an, a good question. There's an, there's an increasing faith happening through this passage. He has enough faith to believe that Jesus could do something if he comes. Jesus addresses, you're not going to get what you need, what you're asking for, unless you see signs and wonders. He receives that as constructive criticism, right? Because G- Jesus is addressing, there's, there's, um, you have a certain level of faith, but it, it really is, it's only if you see it, right? But what I'm about to do is do something you can't see, your faith's going to need to rise to that. His faith rises to that as response to Jesus, what Jesus says. He goes, meets the slaves. The slaves give him the news. Then he and his whole household believe. The faith rises again. Okay. It's a faith healing. Okay. It still requires a participant, right? Now let's circle back to the conversation we had about Jesus never does anything unless the Father tells him. Uh, He doesn't do anything the Father isn't doing. He doesn't say anything that the Father isn't saying. He only says what he hears from the Father. He only does what he does through the power of the Spirit in conjunction with conversation with the Father. So let's take that perspective and bring it to this passage. Okay? A man comes to Jesus and says, Sir, please come down to Capernaum. My child is dying. What Jesus then does is check in with the Father. Father, Isaiah 53 says that I should expect that there are going to be healings. How do you want to go about this healing? My expectations come from scripture, Father. But how do you want to go about doing it? Because I can't do it by myself. I emptied myself of my divine rights, and I only operate in the power of the Spirit as you tell me what to do. And the Father says, there's a faith issue here. You're going to have to address it. So Jesus responds from what he heard and says, unless you see signs and wonders, addresses the faith issue. The man believes. Jesus says, okay, now what? And father says, tell him to go. His son will live. And Jesus speaks what he hears from the father. And the man receives his boy back. Do you you see how we bring one set of teaching from our gospel to another part of the gospel to give the fuller perspective that is in the gospel. I haven't brought anything that's outside scripture to this dialogue, right? I'm just filling in from different parts of scripture.
So when you pray for healing, yeah, when you pray for healing, expect to participate. You're going to have to listen for what the Father is saying. You're going to have to do what he says and expect it to be unusual, whether it's make mud or go. um, How do I put it? When you step into this aspect of discipleship, you should expect the unusual, and you're going to have to rely on God's voice. And in hearing what he says, you're going to have to respond to get to the next step. But you can do it. This is here for you. Because Jesus took ordinary people who will continue to be very ordinary. And what he does is quite extraordinary things with them as they will learn to keep in step with the spirit and only do what the father says and do it with the power of the spirit and things will happen. We'll tell you some stories about that in a moment. We've already had some interaction, but are there questions that come to mind? Questions, things you want clarification about? Lionel, please. It's not the portion we just read. It's the other portions that we just read. You're right. It could very well be a word of knowledge. So you're right. Absolutely. So, yep. Absolutely. Would that be distinctly different though, a word of knowledge versus what I said? Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that a word of knowledge would still be this model. Yep. Absolutely. Certainly. Right? So we saw in the case of this, so what Lionel is saying is that I'm making assumptions and that he may have, um, it may have come about in the knowledge of what needed Jesus needed to do may have come in a different way. Absolutely. But what we'd be doing in that instance, where, so he said, it could have been a word of knowledge where Jesus had been praying and received divine insight and then brought that to this. That still proves my point. Um, The point is that Jesus didn't get it on his own or do it on his own. He got it from God and he had to find a way to do it. So whether it happened in the moment or it happened prior in the night before, it's still Jesus relying on the Father to speak something and to do something by the power of the Spirit that Jesus doesn't bring to the equation because he laid it down. So you're right, it could very well have been a word of knowledge. And a a prophetic word in the middle of the night. Did I see another hand? So thanks for that. No? It's really dangerous to scratch like this. (laughs) I think it's a hand. Yes? What what would you say is the 
way that the Bible showed Jesus and other people doing it, and how I would say the majority of the church throws up 911 prayers. What would you say is the biggest barrier from what the text actually says and what we actually do? Great question. Thanks, Joel. Sometimes you you pitch me um, slow pitches. You can see it coming, and you know how you're going to hit that one. Okay. Um, so Joel's question is, what's what are the biggest barriers that churches like ours have to actually implementing this? Um, barriers, I think, are the ones that we've talked about. Like, we haven't seen a lot of healings except for the 911 prayers. And frankly... I can name very, very few 911 prayers, even collective 911 prayers that got healing. And I know there is scripture for that. James 5 says, call the elders. But they, you see, that's not just prayer, that's still participation. So even that isn't just a 911 call because it's anoint with oil. Um, experience, so lack of experience suspicion about branches of the church that have practiced this for longer because we're clearly right and we're not part of that church for a variety of reasons. Sometimes, and sometimes those are legitimate somewhat. Um, there's a level of risk to, to stepping into doing more than the 911 prayer. It feels risky to listen and say, I, I think the Lord is saying we need to tell this to leave. I think the Lord is saying um, we need to anoint you with oil. I think the Lord is saying um, you need to actually test out that leg, go for a little bit of a walk here. Um, it seems risky because we could be wrong. We could be hearing wrong. Um, all of, you'll notice that all of Jesus' healings look really risky. He made mud and out of spit and put it on someone's eyes. They got healed. There, there's, there's risk involved with this. It means stepping out of our comfort zone. Those are a couple. Is there something that comes to mind for you that I haven't touched on? You know, I, I was just thinking like the parallel between the church now and the Jewish people uh, with the Gentiles storming the gates. Of, uh, of, of the church and it would be offensive I think to most of us if new believers started coming into our church reading what the Bible said and started dealing with it it would feel offended we'd be like Lord we've been here the whole time mm -hmm. and if somebody actually took God's word and said I'm fairly new to this but this is what it says so I'm going to do this and signs and wonders followed them, I think for most of us it would be offensive. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think God's preparing our hearts right now to say, uh, we need to change our mindsets or we're going to be offended by the people. Yep. Thanks, Joel. Um, yeah, I, uh, and I, I would include myself in that. Um, so I want to be humble and say, like, if... Um, Someone gets saved next week and just says, oh, well, Jesus said, heal a sick, raise the dead. I'm just going to go do it and does it, does it better than I've done um, at levels I have never seen. Um, 
I would have a really hard time dealing with that. Yep. Um, at the same time, I, I also recognize like we're bringing some teaching here that hasn't been heard in a church like this very often. And, and there's just, um, it ends up sounding like a criticism, right? If you've, if you've been invested in a church where you haven't seen this kind of thing happen, if that's, it, it's been a church that's formed you. I was formed in church where this didn't happen, right? And we, we bond emotionally with our rightly emotionally bond with our um, churches that have blessed us and that it's part of our identity and our upbringing and we don't receive criticism well. And I can't help but acknowledge the fact that, yeah, there, there's some criticism in this, but it's self-criticism, right? It's self-criticism. My level of expectation needs to rise to the level of scripture. So I call us to the same thing I'm calling myself to, um, my level of expectation needs to rise here. And yeah, we need to be ready for criticism. Um, Jesus did not make a lot of friends preaching what he preached. It, it very rarely goes well for Jesus. He brings hard words and he makes enemies. And the problem is I, I still like you to like me. Um, honestly, I, I struggle with that. Okay. Stories. When I was in Ontario um, back in October going to see my brother, um, about two or three days into the trip, I started having a lot of trouble swallowing. And it, it, it increased very rapidly to the point where I'm like, I'm going to be eating out of a straw soon. Like, I, like this is really serious. I, I could not get things down anymore. didn't have any other symptoms. And I'm spending all day at a children's hospital, right? So they're not going to deal with me. Um, and I'm, I'm at the children's hospital with my brother and, and my, my sister-in-law and their baby. And I don't have time to deal with what is going on. And one night I just said to God, I need you to either deal with this or I've got to book a plane ticket and, and get home early, get back to Red Deer so that I can go to the hospital because I'm going, like, I'm very concerned about this and I, I don't have time to deal with this here. And then I spent some time listening. And he gave me four verses. He gave me Exodus 15, the one we looked at last week, where the Lord declares, I am the Lord, your healer. He gave me Psalm 103. He knows how we are made. He remembers that we are dust. When God, in, in scripture, when God remembers, it says that God remembers something, it is always because he is about to act with that knowledge in mind. He knows how we are made. He remembers that we are dust. He gave me Romans 8, uh, I believe it's verse 11. Um, if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because... His spirit lives in you. And he gave me a passage um, randomly out of um, uh, 2 Samuel, I think it was. We covered it this week in um, listening prayer time. We just talked about the Lord being the God of breakthrough, that the, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, do this. And when David did it, the Lord backed up what he said he would do. 
He gave me those four verses. And I just went into prayer and said, Lord, I claim these verses. I claim these verses. I'm not going back to Red Deer to check into a hospital when I'm supposed to be here supporting my brother. You are my healer. I claimed them. And the next day, I could swallow. And the next day, there were no sensations. And I claimed those for 40 days because he told me to. There's faith, but there's, and there's scripture, there's faith in scripture, but it, it's the, you have to learn to listen to what God, how God wants to go about this and then respond because he requires a participant and it's often unusual. Another story. Um, we live in a four-level split. So we have a lot of stairs in our house and there's never like a bathroom on, this, on the level that you're on for some reason. It's ridiculous. So anyway, we are, so four-level split, lots of stairs. I had hurt my hip. I, I don't even know what I had done, but I was, I was limping and stairs were particularly difficult. And I'm trying to get the kids out of, out of the house and, and get them to school. And I got to navigate stairs to do that on the way. And I just stopped by the bench. And I'm like, Marcus, can you please pray for me? But I taught my kids that when you pray for healing, you don't just say, dear God, please take the pain away. That you, you stop and listen and say, how does the Lord want to go about doing this. So I told them to listen for a minute first. And he listened. And then he put his hand on my hip and said, pain be gone in Jesus name. And 90% of it went like that. And I walked out of that house and was fine. Number three. No, we're going to leave it there. Again, you got to listen. And then you got to do what the Lord says and you got to expect it to be unusual. Sometimes Jesus just heals with the command. But if he wants to do it by faith instead or to claim a scripture or to anoint with oil and you make a command, you're going to miss the way that God wanted to go about it. Listening is so important. A couple of verses, then we're done. Would you look at verses 43 to 45, please? Right at the start, before we get into the healing. Jesus himself says that a prophet has no honor in that prophet's home country. And then he goes to his home country and it says they welcomed him. That's curious. There is a subtle difference between welcome and honor. You may very well welcome and be cool with healing happening in and around, even in this church. But are you going to honor that teaching from scripture to the point where it will become part of your discipleship? It's a subtle difference. And Jesus makes a statement knowing what will happen and expects his disciples to see the difference. Will we honor? Will we honor what he is saying? Will we honor what he is doing among us? 
Will we become a place that fosters the discipleship that is the life of Christ that he lived and let our expectations rise to the level of scripture? Will we do that? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that honors you above everything else, honors your word as the inspired word of God, worships you as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, knowing that you do not change, that Jesus, as Hebrews says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He continues to do what he, what he started here in our passage. Would you make us a people who will step into discipleship and honor the level at which you place the bar? May our expectations rise to the level of scripture because we honor you. Make us people who honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. If any of you would like prayer, you are more than welcome to come up uh, afterwards. Otherwise, I bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, his presence, his life, his abundance. He gave himself for you that you might receive all that he has to give blessings, my friends. Go in peace. Thanks for being here.